Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside my colleague, 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi, and here to talk about that upcoming election and what feels like has been an avalanche of elections uh, lately is Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea. Secretary, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, so I want to start with what people need to know right off the top. For people voting by mail, they would have already had to request their ballot. That deadline is passed. Um, when do mail ballots need to be in the mailbox to, to get to the Board of Elections, and what are other key dates? So we recommend that you get it, the mail ballots back to us as soon as possible. I should say back to the Board of Elections, which is where they're going. Um, if it's, you know, the Thursday or Friday before the election at that point, I'd say drop it in, in one of the uh, election drop boxes that the Board of Elections has installed throughout the 39 cities and towns. And you can actually find the one that's closest to you by going to vote.ri.gov. And there are seven bond, bond questions, as I said off the top. Uh, we have a voter guide on WPRI.com for people to check out, which I'll link to on the Newsmakers page. But without getting into detail on all seven, just tell people why this is a big deal for taxpayers. Yeah, no, this is $400 million of our tax dollars that we're looking to see whether uh, voters will agree uh, with the General Assembly, the governor, uh, and many of us in government that this is a worthwhile investment. So these are investments in education, in the environment, in affordable housing, in infrastructure. There's a lot on that ballot, and uh, I think it's worthy of, of voters uh, going out and exercising their right to vote. I don't think the topic of election administration has ever been in the news as much as it has been uh, in recent months. And, you know, every time we do a story uh, about, related to anything uh, about how elections are run, we hear from a, a large number of viewers who, are, who don't trust the process. Um, and yes, there have been investigations. There's no sign there was major voter fraud uh, in the presidential election. But at the same time, these people feel that way. I'm sure you've reflected on you know where that has led us as a country do you think there's anything that can be done to try to build more trust across political parties across the spectrum and how elections are run yeah absolutely as secretary of state i've worked really hard to try to make sure that rhode islanders understand that we have been able to deliver safe and secure elections during this pandemic and so I think it's a question of communicating. Uh, anytime anybody comes to me with a doubt, uh, I walk them through the process. I encourage them to work as poll workers or to go down to the Board of Elections and watch these processes unfold. You've been there in the room. It's an open and transparent process. I can't speak to other states. I can speak to the state of Rhode Island, and I tell Rhode Islanders every single time that they can trust their elections. What, what do you make of that distrust, though? I mean, when it, Ted uh, tweeted out that you were going to be on the show, there were people that tweeted back at him, when are you going to ask her to stop the mail, I'm paraphrasing, but stop the mail ballots. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people, a good chunk of people that just do not trust the mail ballot um, process. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what uh, is going on in mail ballots. The, the people see stories on the news in other states and they confuse it actually with what's going on here in Rhode Island. The best... Uh, uh, I think counteraction to all of this doubt is to encourage people to step forward and learn and be a part of the process. It's an open and transparent process we are delivering and you can absolutely trust the security and the safety of these elections. 
But the mail ballot rules around were changed during mm -hmm. the pandemic uh, to uh, you. First of all, applications have sometimes been mailed out proactively to people, not mail ballots. Sometimes people think the ballots are going yeah. out, but the applications have gone out to people proactively. And the witness signature uh, requirement has been waived. Uh, and I, it does seem like that is one of the key concerns some folks have about the security of mail ballots. Do you think those changes should be permanent? Should applications always go out proactively? Should uh, the witness signature requirement never come back? Or do you think that's only for the pandemic? No, I think that the way we're running elections uh, is a really great way because it has opened access to the ballot box while we're able to secure the integrity of every vote. Like any changes, sometimes, you know, people have doubts. It's a question of making sure that we educate the public as to what are all the safety checks. Those two signatures in notary are not the safety check on the election. In fact, they're not in most states other than Alabama. So when we changed that during the pandemic, we actually joined the mainstream of other states in terms of uh, ballot security. Uh, as Ted pointed out, the pandemic prompted a, a bunch of changes in, in how we vote, and those were done through executive order. To make them permanent, it will take the General Assembly to codify them into law. Mm -hmm. You touched on a, a couple that Ted asked you about, but uh, what are you asking for them to do this session, and have you talked to House and Center, Senate leadership about it? We're in the process of putting together our legislative package. Um, Thankfully, we've gotten a lot done over the last five years, so I don't have a lot of big asks left other than getting rid of the two witnesses and the notary requirement. Uh, you know, we did pass early in-person voting last year. That's here to stay 20 days before the election. We did online voter registration, automated voter registration. We've done new voting for machines, so electronic poll books. So there's not a lot left, actually. Speaker, Senate President, you talked to him about it? We're in the process of setting up those meetings. All right. So um, I want to ask you about your future, because that was something people wanted us to ask about, because you've been seen as a potential candidate for governor in 2022 uh, on the Democratic side. The situation has obviously changed. Uh, Dan McKee is about to become the governor uh, with Gina Raimondo leaving. So he will be, uh, presumably, he said, an incumbent running for reelection. Uh, does that mean you won't be considering a run for governor because there'll be an incumbent Democrat now? I am flattered every time I go to the grocery store and somebody approaches me, thanks me for the work we've been doing and encourages me to be their next governor. Uh, I, of course, wish uh, soon to be Governor McKee the best. Uh, we need uh, good, strong leadership during the next uh, year and a half. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm flattered by all of those Rhode Islanders that see my kind of leadership and want to see that happen. So I'm, I'm exploring it and uh, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. But so it, Dan McKee being in the office doesn't change your calculus? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that uh, voters are entitled to have choices, whether it be in the primary or the general election. A little more in the weeds with politics. Your chief of staff, Gonzalo Cuervo, left, uh, and he's expected to run for mayor of Providence. Are you supporting him in that race? Uh, right now, I'm actually just focused on my own uh, political life and running of the Department of State. I have not taken a position on any primary race. Well, let me ask you about some of the things going on in the state, since you are considering a, uh, a run for governor, as you've said, next year. I, I want to ask you about the vaccine rollout, because mm -hmm. that is a topic we are hearing about constantly from viewers every day who are frustrated mm -hmm. with the situation. Tim reported last night Harvard gave Rhode Island an F on mm -hmm. every metric it looked at, all four related to the pandemic and the vaccine rollout. How do you, I know this isn't your responsibility, but if you're mm -hmm. looking at a potentially taking on a broader portfolio in the future, how do you think the vaccine rollout has gone? And uh, do you think any changes are needed? I think it's been really challenging, um, and there's no way to deny that. I think if you ask everybody involved, they wish it had gone better. Uh, the challenge now is improving really quickly. Now, with the Biden administration in place, 
the biggest thing that we could have is more supply of the vaccine. If we had a supply for everybody, the rollout issues wouldn't be as grave, but we don't. And so we need to fine tune this as we go along and involve everybody, not pointing fingers, but saying, you know, how can I help? What at the state level do you think didn't go well? You talk about the, mm -hmm. the supply, that's an issue more at the federal level, but when we look at the report card for Rhode Island that Ted referenced, uh, what at the state level do you think maybe could have been a little smoother? I think that there has been a challenge in communicating to people, you know, what exactly is the availability and how can they sign up. I think there's been a lot of confusion, and I know because I've had older people ask me. Uh, you know, I've signed up in different places. I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to go. I was able to sign myself up, but not my spouse. That kind of confusion uh, at this time is, is very, very challenging. And I know that the good people at the Department of Health are working on it. We, uh, one, one concern we've also heard is uh, lack of outreach to the Latino community. You are the first Latina elected statewide in Rhode Island, so you have deep roots in that community. What do you think specifically about, uh, of course they've done the targeted rollout of vaccines in Central Falls, which is majority Hispanic, but how do you think it's gone in that community specifically? So I was just actually last weekend uh, with um, Mayor Rivera looking at one of the vaccination clinics. and The I new was mayor in Central Falls. I'm sorry. The mayor in Central mayor Falls, Central right? Falls, yes, Mayor Maria Rivera. And I was very impressed with their system and their rollout. It seems to be going very, very well. People are very happy that I got to speak with. Redistricting is set to gear up in the next couple of years. Uh, you can, you know, sort of codify the timeline here if you want, but you were involved in that, uh, if I remember right, uh, two decades ago. Do you think we're going to see, the state will see further gains in the number of Hispanic, Latino, uh, the, that population, and will that, do you think, reflect in the uh, those who run for office? I think you've seen a remarkable sea change both in women and people of color running and gaining elected seats, and I think that's really good for the state. And, and, and makes us a model for other states as well. So I absolutely see those gains as continuing. And, you know, there's also a subtraction side of redistricting this year, which mm -hmm. is will Rhode Island lose a congressional seat? Mm -hmm. I'd say every study I've looked at, every expert I talked to says they think it's very, very likely Rhode Island loses a seat that we're not gonna know until those numbers come out. Is that your current expectation? You know, I'm, 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 cautiously, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I wouldn't be an elected official if I wasn't so. I hope that we can save that second congressional seat. But you're seat. also a realist. Do you really, you hope, but do you, think you, do you think it'll happen? You know, it's hard to say because the census was such a debacle uh, at the federal level. So it's very difficult to know what's gonna happen. Um, I wanna go back and pivot to mail ballots again. Mm -hmm. And just one thing, I, somebody who's not in it all the time, I report on it, but one question I had before the show was, are mail ba ballots more expensive? In other words, you know, there's the, you think about the postage that has to go on mm -hmm. it, but you're not only doing all the extra mail ballots that you had to do this year because of the pandemic, and I believe you received some federal funding to help out and all of that, but uh, you also still have to run the regular in-person election. You talked about at the beginning of the show, you put the drop boxes at all mm -hmm. the different locations to make sure people had more places to drop those mail ballots off. So at the end of the day, when you're doing the ledger, are mail ballot elections more expensive? They're actually not more expensive, uh, but right now we're running, yes, multiple systems. And I think one of the conversations that the state has to have is if we're gonna have, like we did in November, a third of the electorate voting from home, does it make sense to have as many polling locations uh, fully staffed on election day? If people are going, if two thirds of the voters are going between voting from home or early in person, Certainly, we probably don't need as many polling locations on Election Day. 
I wanted to ask about your, something in your previous life. Before you were secretary, you were at Housing Works Rhode Island, and I used to interview you about housing issues all the time. And uh, I'm sure you still think about this. We've seen an extraordinary run-up in the housing uh, market in Rhode Island, during, especially during the pandemic. I looked yesterday. The realtors say the median price of a single-family home is now $325,000, less than two months' supply of housing on the market. As someone who's thought about that in, a, in your previous life, and now someone who's thinking about potentially running statewide, I'm curious, what do you think should be done to try to make it more affordable for more middle-class, working-class families to find a house without these crazy bidding wars? Yeah, no, affordable housing is a key issue for the economic development and growth of this state. Uh, that was that was palpable before, and it, and it is going forward. Uh, the bond issue that we have is one of those solutions, right? V v Question three, will provide $65 million for the development of affordable housing. Yes, that's part of the solution. Yes, a line item for the development of affordable housing. But we have to take a bigger picture look uh, at all of the barriers and costs of developing housing in our state and come together as a community and say, no, growth is not necessarily always evil. It has to be managed, it has to be done right, it can be done green, uh, but we have to have growth in this state. And so I think we need a community conversation on all of the barriers that, that raise the price and the complexity of building housing in the state as a way to get to more affordable homes for workers here in Rhode Island. One final question before we go. It wasn't lost on me in, in your answer talking about uh, the vaccine rollout. You said that you know communication of mm -hmm. what things are and what they will be ha hasn't been so great. And uh, until this week, we have not been able to ask the governor any questions uh, because she has been under wraps since December 22nd, if I remember the date right. And I wonder if you think that uh, her lack of answering questions maybe got in the way of that communication about the vaccine. I think that might have been part of it for sure because people were used to seeing her as the face of the vaccine rollout in the pandemic crisis. Uh, but it goes beyond that. I think there, there could have been better communication of the plans just by the regular staff that was there. All right. Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea, thank you so much for joining us on the program. And like she said, there are seven bond questions for you to take a look at. That's a lot to digest. We have a voter guide on WPRI.com. When we come back, that interview I talked about with Governor Gina Raimondo, our Kim Kalunian, and Patrick Anderson from the Providence Journal met up with the governor outside the state house. We'll bring you that on the second half of Newsmakers. Okay, Ted, we talked about it briefly at the end of the first half, but uh, as I referenced the last time the governor answered reporter questions was before Christmas, December 22nd. This past week, that changed. 12 News, polit uh, 12 News reporter Kim Kalunian and Patrick Anderson from the Providence Journal caught up with the governor outside the State House. Let's take a listen to some of that exchange. Today, actually, I was at the state's vaccination site in Cranston. I know folks are frustrated with the pace of vaccinations, but our strategy is working. And you can see that because hospitalizations have been dropping like a rock. So, and as we get more supply, we will do more vaccinations. But right now we have decided to prioritize older folks and high risk folks. That's what Dr. Alexander Scott has said to do. And so we're doing that and Rhode Island's like, actually doing very well relative to other states in terms of people being fully vaccinated with the two shots. Having said that, I, you know, we're going to keep working to make sure it goes faster and faster. And I think, look, I think um, a few weeks from now, 
you'll see the several state-run mass vaccination sites up and running, like the one in Cranston, the one at the Dunk. I think you'll see us starting to make it available to all people over 75, and then a few weeks after that, all people over 65. It's a huge effort. No one's ever done this before. I think we're in good shape. In two weeks from now, we'll be in better shape. Two weeks, even better shape. Governor, has the Biden administration asked you not to answer questions from reporters? No, they have not. So why then have we not seen you at the press briefings? You were there every week taking our questions. Why has that changed? Yeah, because I felt it was appropriate in this transition to let Lieutenant Governor McKee uh, step out in front. By the way, he's doing a great job. You know, we talk every day, if not more than once a day. We, His team and my team are in contact all day long. I just felt it was appropriate that he step out and Rhode Islanders start to get comfortable with him as the face of leading the COVID response. But you're still the governor. Don't you feel yep. like there should be a certain level of accountability, even today in, in the vaccine uh, Facebook Live that you just had? You didn't answer any questions from the public. Would you consider having another forum again before you head to D.C. where the reporters and the public can ask you questions again? Um, I think this is appropriate. My day today hasn't changed. You know, I love this state. I'm working seven days a week to do my best to keep the state safe. Um, I'm about to go run a meeting on the whole of government state response. I, ha I ran a vaccine meeting earlier. But like in any transition, you know, it it's time to transition. So day to day, I'm doing the job as I always have. Um, in terms of a public face, I thought it was important that he go ahead and do that. Governor, do you regret not letting the lieutenant governor or inviting the lieutenant governor to participate more, to take a, a heavier load in the weeks leading up to the winter when you knew that there was a possibility that you might leave for Washington? Give, let him get his feet wet a little more and, and know a little bit more about how this works. Yeah. Look, as I said, his, he, he is um, getting up the curve very quickly. He begins every morning at 8 a.m. with a call with my team. We, he is drinking from a fire hose to be sure, but he's doing a great job and his team is up for the task. And by the way, I'm here um, to do whatever he needs. So no, I'm not concerned actually you know by the way we're well, in a good place from the fire, maybe if you let, eased him in a little bit more at last you know year, have to i know from, from my own experience uh when i had several months of transition it's just the way it is you know it's the way it is for any new governor he's doing a great job he's working his tail off i have confidence in him and thankfully rhode island's in a good spot you know three percent test positivity hospitalization dropping every day. Thank God the end is in sight, vaccines coming online. So listen, I'm confident. I really am very confident. I wanted to ask you about sort of the percentage of your time that you're spending on the day-to-day -day issues of the state, but also I've got to assume you're preparing for your new role. How much is that bleeding into your duties as governor? Yeah, so I can tell you, um, I'm working as hard as I ever have as the governor. So uh, my day to day hasn't changed that much. Um, and I, I owe it to the people of Rhode Island to do that, to work as hard as I can until the moment I'm no longer the governor. That's what I'm doing and that's what I intend to do. 
And did we give too much deference to CVS and Walgreens to do the nursing homes? And maybe should we have taken the state, taken a little bit of a stronger hand in that effort? That is an excellent question. So here's what I feel about that. Um, it made sense to rely on CVS and Walgreens because they have an infrastructure. They have the pharmacy infrastructure and we want to be where people are, you know? CVS, Walgreens is in the community. So we wanted to be in the community and meet people where they are. Having said that, there's been um, too many bumps in the road. Uh, in fact, to your point about working on Sunday, I called, you know, the folks at CVS to say, this isn't going the way we need it to go. Um, it's getting better and I think it will get better. There are kinks. They are committed to working out the kinks with us. And, you know, I still think it was the right decision because, in, like I said, in a month from now, when we are trying to vaccinate the whole population, I think the retail pharmacy will be the way to go. But we have some work to do to get it to where it needs to be. One more. The GOP is calling on your director of administration, Brett Smiley, to resign uh, partially due to his involvement with campaign fundraising for his uh, run for mayor. Have you had conversations with Brett Smiley about this, and do you plan to keep him on for the duration of your term? Huh. Uh, I have not. In fact, this is the first I'm hearing about that. Um, I think Brett is a fantastic uh, head of DOA. He is an excellent public servant, and I think Rhode Island's lucky to have him. Did he make a mistake by meeting with Ed Catunio, who was involved with the Mattiello campaign in 2016, while in office as director of administration? So those details you should take up with him. What I can say is he's done a terrific job, and he needs to decide, you know, how long he would like to stay. Um, but I, I think Rhode Island's lucky to have him where he is. Governor Gina Raimondo answering questions since uh, uh, the first time, since December 22nd. That entire interview is on WPRI.com. I should note that uh, right after she made the comments on Brett Smiley, a day or so after he announced uh, that he was stepping down from the DOA at the end of February, we're expecting him to run for mayor. All right, Ted, let's just get to a timeline here as we talk on a Friday morning when we tape this program. Are we, uh, is the timeline as to when she leaves and McKee takes over coming more into focus yet? Oh, uh, to some extent, uh, you know, it's there. It's up to the U.S. Senate, and nobody ever wants to make bets on the future course of the U.S. <laughs> For Senate. Sure. But uh, I think right now the operating assumption is that she will get a confirmation vote sometime in the week of February 22nd. And I think, you know, we're taping this Friday morning, Tim, and it looks like the impeachment trial is going to wrap up fairly quickly. That had been something, a wild card, if that had continued on. And then uh, the Senate does have a break next week, a recess. Uh, they don't like when we say break because they're like, we're working hard at home, <laughs> but they, it's kind of a break. They won't be in Washington. So I think the week of February 22nd is looks like a safe bet now. But again, things are so strange. I wouldn't put money on it. <laughs> All right. So the as the dominoes fall with that, whenever the date is, uh, the list of lieutenant governor applicants came out this week. Of course, normally LG is voted in. This is an application process because of uh, what's going on. And that process just feels weird, right, uh, Ted, or it does to me. And I, I know there isn't a modern precedent, so McKee's sort of figuring it out for himself. But I wonder if at the end of this, lawmakers are going to go, okay, no, 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 we're not going to do it this way again. Yeah, I do think, I think there's uh, some head scratching, I would say, at the state house, and even among 
some of the folks who've put their names in for lieutenant governor, but it does it feels a little like a contest. Yeah. Uh, people have said like a reality, reality show, like TV, The Bachelor yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> and I think so people are wondering, did, did McKee's team think through kind of was this the process they wanted? Also, frankly, did they want this to be something that got so much attention as he was just stepping into the spotlight? Um, but I also think they, they've kind of made their bed with this process and now they have to they have to interview people. They have to figure it out. They've they're taking additional applications. They've said they have about sixty people so far. Um, so I think this this is the process they have, and I do think there may be some review of how are we going to do this in the future. Uh, I I don't watch The Bachelor for the record, but I understand there's some roses involved. <laughs> do you have an idea of how many roses he has to hand out for finalists right now, and who uh, might get them? They've not made clear on that yet. I mean, I will say he has to. You know, there's there's some lawmakers on there. He's going to yeah. want to at least make each of them feel they were heard and listened to and taken seriously. So I I think they. They probably can't rush this process for political reasons, even if he already knows who he wants. Um, we talked on, we have just a few seconds left here, but we talked about it the first half about how people are frustrated with the vaccine rollout. Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott has been out there once a week, but do you think that the governor not talking for a month and a half has sort of perpetuated that frustration? It's at least, yes, I think it adds to the frustration. I can't say whether it's really adding operationally to the problems because I keep looking at Massachusetts, which is having a lot of problems with a governor who's not going anywhere and is usually pretty popular. So I think it, it's, it's understandably added to the frustration. It may be causing problems behind the scenes as well, but uh, either way, people are mad. Happy Valentine's, everyone. If you heart newsmakers, don't forget our podcast. I'm Tim White. That's Ted Nisi. We'll see you next week.